appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child that she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled where it says, Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he didn't have relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. And now from Luke chapter 1. We hear the same story, but from a different perspective. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this could be. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever and there will never be an end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, how will this happen since I've never had relations with a man? And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come over you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy, who will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. For nothing is impossible for God. And then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And then the angel left her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Good morning. I want to say just a very brief word about the anthem while the choir is getting in place. It's an unfamiliar text. It's called Mary's Child. And I just want to read one line that occurs at the end of of the anthem, uh, and it goes like this. Mary nursed her child beside the gardens of a grave, and by the death within his bones, the dead became alive. And that's, that's a, a point, no matter whether you're reading Matthew or Luke or any of the gospels, is that there's life through Christ. And that's what this anthem is about.
Well, good morning. If we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Terry Swan. I'm the lead pastor here at Salem, and we're blessed to have you on this beautiful Advent season morning, the first week of Advent. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, wash over us today. May your Holy Spirit overshadow us and and give us a glimpse into your world, into your story, because it is also our world and our story. May we connect with you this morning, O oh God, and may you touch my mind and my heart, O oh God, today, that it might be your words and not mine. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, one of my favorite things about this time of year is going to that 3 o'clock Christmas Eve service. I call it the controlled chaos service, maybe even the controlled out of it. Um, it is full of little shepherds and angels running around and live animals, and the Christmas story just comes to life. And it's held at, at 3 o'clock in our multipurpose room, while this room is always set up for our, the rest of our Christmas Eve services. And... Um, I had the best time last year. I was sitting on the front row because I was offering a prayer for the service, and I was sitting on the front row, and I was watching three little angels throughout the entire play or pageant. One was adjusting her halo the entire time. She was trying to get it just right, so she was taking it off and measuring it and pulling it around and then putting it back on, and no, it wasn't right again, so here we go again. All throughout the play, the halo was trying to get fixed. The other one, she decided that it had just been a long day and decided to take off her shoes and sit down. She, yeah, that's Aggie right there. That's her right there, your little girl. She had those black patent shoes on, and she took those off, and she just sat down. Her little feet were just wiggling the whole time, and she was doing, just being a part of the play, sitting and enjoying the whole thing. And I could relate with her. I really could because I wanted my shoes off too. And um, in fact, this morning I decided that it was a good beginning to the Advent season because I've already broken a high heel this morning. So I'm thinking this is good. So, you know, I can relate with someone who doesn't like to wear shoes. In fact, I was walking down the stairs and Pastor Sean said to me, because I'd broken the heel, I was walking down the stairs and he said, Pastor Terry, it is only 8.15 this morning and you've already got your shoes off. Because usually I have my shoes off after 10.45 service. And so I said, broke a heel, got to get it fixed. So, and then the last one was a little angel that was trying to make sure that the shepherd standing beside her was in his right spot. She was trying to make sure that he was getting it just right the whole time sucking her two fingers. And so it was just fun to watch the Christmas story come to life through these little angels last year. And every year, parents and grandparents, cousins, aunts and uncles, they attend these kinds of pageants or play that bring those Christmas stories, as we said, Christmas stories to life the birth of our Christ and our Lord and our Savior. We tell stories because we interpret our world through those stories. And so each person tells their own story with a perspective. Pastor Marvin, I would bet that all 21 of the people in your household for Thanksgiving have a different perspective of the week. 
Some of them might be talking about what was cooked or what was fixed and what was eaten as that was, you know, the, the focus for them. Some would be talking about the little squabbles that took place within the grandchildren or something like that. Some might be talking about those walks in the woods or those walks along or even the soccer playing outside. And some might even tell a story about you trying to get away from a mall. I would bet, or reading a book. Each one of the people would tell a perspective of the same event, right? They were all gathered for Thanksgiving. The same event took place, but each one of them would give us their perspective. And that's what the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke does. It gives us a perspective. Now, the Gospel of Matthew starts off with this extensive genealogy from Abraham to Joseph, which takes up about two-thirds of the first chapter. In fact, the, the narrative of the, the birth of Christ is only 31 verses. So can you imagine if we had a Christmas pageant that was only based on the Gospel of Matthew? It would be pretty short, wouldn't it? It'd be pretty short. There would be uh, no time for angels to take off their shoes there would be no time for angels to adjust their halos. There would be no little shepherds guiding their sheep and camels. No little town of Bethlehem. No innkeeper saying, there's no room here. There would be no manger. No Mary wrapping her babe in swaddling cloth. There would be no angels singing in the sky. In fact, if we only had the Gospel of Matthew, there would be no birth story, actual birth story at all. Joseph is the main character in the Gospel of Matthew, and Mary is in the background. So if we had a pageant with only the Gospel of Matthew, Mary would have no lines whatsoever. She would be standing on the set, but no real focus. And then we would jump, if we go further in the Gospel of Matthew, we would jump to another main character, and that would be King Herod. King Herod. The pageant would focus on the Magi who followed the star and seek the Messiah, and Herod's murderous plot would come to life on stage. There would be no dream scenes of Joseph causing Joseph and Mary and the baby to flee to Egypt, and the Magi, there would be no story of them going home by a different route. Hmm. The pageant would conclude with the death of King Herod and Joseph returning to the land of Israel. In a sense, the story is all about Jesus. But the story is told from the perspective of Joseph. Now let's imagine if we only had a Christmas pageant with the Gospel of Luke. There would be, first of all, it would be twice as long, wouldn't it? And in much more detail, the birth of Jesus and the proclamation of the birth of our Savior and Lord, we would begin with the angel of the Lord telling Zechariah that John would be coming and that he would prepare for the way of the Lord. The pageant would have all kinds of characters. Mary would have a major role. There would be angels singing and shepherds keeping their watch by flock of night keeping their flock by night. And it wouldn't stop there. The pageant would include a trip to Jerusalem at, for his presentation and his circumcision. 
I'm glad we kept that part out of our pageants. I'm, I'm just saying. Not a good, not a, you know, we'd cause some therapy sessions for kids, I think, later on. And finally, our pageant would conclude with Jesus in the temple at the age of 12, imparting his wisdom. No dreams of Joseph, no Herod, no magi from afar, and what would a pageant be without three little kings bringing their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? The Gospel of Luke gives us the perspective centrally from the eyes of Mary. Now, each narrative is unique in its own way. It has differences and it has commonalities. These two accounts of the birth of Christ is not impossible. It's not impossible to harmonize them. In fact, that's what we've been doing. For centuries, we've been harmonizing these two beautiful stories to create a new story. And when we harmonize these stories, we lose the richness of each of them. Because each of them is giving a perspective in a unique way for us to know. It gives us a glimpse of who Jesus is. Josh Way, he's an author, he puts this, it this way. By harmonizing the two gospel accounts of Jesus' birth, we have a muffled and unique emphatic message of each. We have written a new story, a mashup, so to speak, that speaks to us. So... Context is important. Each one of these stories is written with the context behind it, and so it's important. Let's look at, for a moment at the context of both of these Gospels. They're written in a time that scholarship's best reconstruction is that Jesus was born before the death of Herod the Great in 4 BCE. Now then, I'm headed to Israel tomorrow with our bishop and 140 other Methodists from Missouri. I need your prayers. And um, we're going to be, I'm going to be with our residents in ministry. Pastor Sean is going to be on that trip as well. And we're going to be walking through the Holy Land and journeying through the Holy Land together. And one of the things you cannot miss when you go to the Holy Land is you cannot miss the imprint that King Herod made on Israel. There is still architecture in place from that time and it's just amazing to see the huge stones at the base of the temple that were put in place at the time of King Herod and when you know more about King Herod you know that in those beautiful architecture pieces there are stories and there is death, and there is cruelty, and there is pain. Because Herod was a little crazy. The Gospel of Matthew gives us a glimpse of Herod. History calls him Herod the Great, and probably a more appropriate name might be Herod the Paranoid. Or Herod the Psychopath. The Rome Senate had made him king of Judea in 40 BC. He was not Jewish, even though he related to the Jewish people, in fact, was even benevolent or generous to the Jewish people from time to time. In fact, the temple that we will see, those stones, that was from the time of reno re renovating the temple during the time of King Herod. And so we remember this temple the most instead of the temple that Solomon put in place. And Herod taxed the fool out of the Israelites, trying to out-Rome the Romans. 
By building palaces in every part of Israel, he built aqueducts, providing water into those uh, palaces. He built amphitheaters and pools beside the water and the ocean side. He might have been a visionary, but in all of Christian history, there may not have been a person more evil or vile than King Herod. Roman Emperor Augustus commented one time that it would be better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son because he'd had many of his sons killed and his wife because he was paranoid that they were going to take over. Thus, the context in which we read these Gospels, Matthew and Luke, in these Christmas stories is in the midst of a conflict of power the conflict of the kingdom of Rome and the conflict of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of Rome represented its overwhelming economic, political, and ideological power, which resulted in cruelty over and over and over again. Victory at any cost is what Rome said, because that would mean that there would be peace. Their kind of peace. The kingdom of God, of course, was at odds with this kind of power. The kingdom of God highlights the great reversal. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. In the kingdom of God, peace comes from justice. And so we have the prince of peace entering our world. Matthew reflects this political power while Luke reflects this same clash of power but instead of bringing to light the political conflict of the time with the King Herod and, and everything that's taking place with that, Luke highlights the ideological power. He doesn't use his story to confront the powers that be, but to pass them by and dismiss them entirely. God is revealed not in the halls of wealth and power, but among the humble and the destitute. Luke's story represents the imposing powers, and how Jesus came to change all of that. Luke highlights the babe that's born of a poor, unwed teenager. Born in a cave where they kept the animals. The shepherds are the first to hear the, the announcement that our Savior has come. And the shepherds are the lowest of the low during that time. You see the great reversal? Each of these writers gives us a glimpse of the world as they understood it. And each of, us, each of them share with us this need for a savior. A need to come in and change the world. Each give a perspective that the other does not. Yet, at the heart of both of these stories is the exact same announcement. The miraculous birth of the Messiah. The one that would change everything. The announcement of Emmanuel, God with us. These are not stories of cultural domination or religious supremacy, but of liberation and deliverance and rescue for the marginalized and the needy, 
literally refugees and immigrants. These are the Christmas stories, ancient and relevant for us today, filled with light and darkness, filled with justice and mercy, filled with hope, peace, love and joy. God who entered our broken world, God with us. And even though they share different perspectives and different stories, we have this same result. A child is born in the midst of pain and suffering. It's the same thing for us today. A child is born in our heart once again because we live in a world of pain and suffering. A child to bring hope and comfort. A child that brings peace in the midst of conflict. The salvation he brought would be greater than any political freedom. It would be broader than any borders of any kingdom or any empire. And that is still true for us today. God with us is born to save us. To save us from our sin. That's the word the gospel uses over and over and over again. The birth announcement of the angel set it straight from the very beginning. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. The light he brought into the world, the light of salvation, still shines, amen? It shines into the darkness of any and every kind of oppression. And we may not experience oppression in the same way that Jesus' world experienced it, but we still experience oppression, right, church? Oppression like fear, sin, sorrow, failure, suffering of any kind. And Christmas brings to us this good news of a Savior's birth. No matter which perspective we read of, we hear of the good news of Jesus Christ coming into our world because he loves us that much to come into our world and help us see what things can be. We come to the table to remember, to remember today that God is with us. Emmanuel, we come today to remember hope and peace. We come today to remember the love that came into our world in the form of a little babe and gave it all eventually on a cross for each of us. We come to remember that no matter what we go through, no matter what we are going through, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. That God is with us, Emmanuel.